Chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he would later receive. As an inheritance, he went out without understanding where he was going. By faith, he lived as a foreigner in the promised land, as though we were, it, was, it were a foreign country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were fellow heirs of the same promises. For he was looking forward to the city with firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even though Sarah herself was barren, he was too old. He received the ability to procreate, because he regarded the one who had given the promise to be trustworthy. So in the fact... So in fact, children were fathered by one man, and this one as good as dead, like the number of the stars of the sky and like the innumerable grains of the sand on the seashore. These all died in faith without receiving the things promised, but they saw them in the distance and welcomed them and acknowledged them. They were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For those who speak in such a way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. In fact, they, are, they have been thinking of the land that they had left. They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they aspire to a better land that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Now this section, and going on to verse 22, 8 through 22, the emphasis still here is on the invisible. But there's a new kind of secondary emphasis that gets really put in here. And that is, these people persevered, even though they did not get the promises. The, the focus in this section is, not only are they f- having faith in the unseen, but the unseen is not coming, it's 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 not coming. And they just keep having faith, 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 faith. They persevere despite not getting what God has promised them. And that's the focus here. So Abraham, by faith, obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance. And he went out without understanding where he was going. Now you have to remember that Joshua chapter 24 tells us that when Abraham was called by God, Abraham was worshiping the pagan gods. Abraham did not know Yahweh. He did not have a relationship with Yahweh. He was worshiping the gods of Mesopotamia. And God came and spoke to him, and by faith he called Turkey, dropped his gods, and walked and went to a land. And God just said, go, and I'll tell you when to stop walking. Now, one of the reasons is, in the ancient world, if anything bad happened to you, they believed that the gods were punishing you for some kind of sin. And Abraham's 75 years old, and he probably would have gotten married around 15, 16, 17 years old which means for about 60-something years, he hasn't had children. Which means for 60-something years, the gods are punishing you. And you think for 60-something years, you've been praying and sacrificing and repenting of everything that you can possibly imagine, hoping the gods will be pleased with you. Because the only way that a human can have any kind of value is if they have children. That children are everything in the ancient world. I mean, we feel that today, but even more so back then. So one of the reasons he probably cold turkey dropped all his gods is because in 60-something years, no god had ever revealed themselves to him. No god had ever spoken to him. And all they did is punish him. And all of a sudden, this god comes to them and says, If you follow me, I will give you a land. I will make you a great nation. I will personally bless you. And the whole world will be blessed through you. And no other god has ever spoken to you. And every time they, if they do reveal anything to you through the priests, it's jump through all these hoops and then maybe I'll bless you. And God just says, go and I'll bless you. 
And Abraham believed. Now, was it without evidence? No. If God shows up and talks to you, that's a huge amount of evidence. (laughs) But was there total evidence that this God wasn't just tricking him and deceiving him because he was the joke of the heavens like some of the other pagan gods would do things? If you read the stories, they're messed up. And Abraham went out because he had faith. Now, he didn't completely obey. He also waited till his dad died. Because one thing you'd never do is disobey your father. So he waited for his father to die, and then he went. So his faith was a little delayed, but he had faith. And notice that the author doesn't focus on the fact that his faith wasn't 100% awesome. He just says he had faith. Your faith doesn't have to be totally 100% perfect. Just have faith. And that's the point that the author is making. By faith, he lived as a foreigner. In a promised land, as though it were a foreign country, living as tents with Isaac and Jacob. And then he ends on, look, it's not just Abraham, Isaac too. Abraham never, never does that land become his. God says, this will be your land. But Abraham never inherits that land. Then Isaac never inherits it. And Jacob never inherits it. And then Jacob's 12 sons never inherit it. And you would think after the fourth generation, he would say, God, you're a liar. Yet they kept persevering, even though they didn't get the land that God promised. They were in the land, but they were a foreigner in the land. It still belonged to the Canaanites. And then not only that, in chapter 15 of Genesis, God says, Oh, by the way, not only are you not going to get the land that I promised you in your lifetime, but your descendants are not going to get the land for another 400 years. But yet they still persevered. They still persevered. They still trusted in God. Why? They were fellow heirs of the same promises, for he was looking forward to the city with firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Look, if Abraham received... Now, the writer will go on later, and the book of Genesis says that... Or Paul will say, Abraham received the promises of God. And you're like, no, he didn't. And then the author of Hebrews comes along and says, yeah, he did. Because he began to realize that if I'm not getting the physical land that God promised me, and I'm going to die and not get the land of Canaan, yet God made me a promise that I would receive the land. And I have seen that God is so trustworthy and always honors a promise. There must be a different land he's talking about. And so Abraham had to have faith that he would receive a city with different foundations. And that's the heavenly sanctuary that he just got done talking about in chapter 10. And then when we get to chapter 13, he's going to talk about that the heavenly sanctuary is a city that is unshakable. And this is a little foreshadowing of that unshakable because this city has firm foundations because they're built on the rock, as Christ will talk about. And so here's the reality. You want to really study an amazing faith. Abraham's it. Abraham literally got to the point at the end of life. Rather than saying, God's a liar, he promised me land, forget him, I'm about ready to die and I didn't get it. Abraham trusted God so much and believed in his character so much that Abraham said, he must be talking about a different land because I'm going to get the land. Because I'm about ready to die, but God promised me a land, so there must be a different kind of land that I'm going to in the afterlife. That's amazing faith. Rather than saying God didn't honor he said, it just, I must have misunderstood what he meant by land. 
it must be a different definition than what I'm used to. Isn't that amazing? He just assumed that his definitions were wrong rather than God didn't honor his definitions. That's amazing faith. And I think we can think of a lot of places in our life where God made a promise or said something and we thought this and then we realized it was totally different than what we thought, but totally better than what we thought. And sometimes, even when we don't have faith, God still loves us enough to still give us what He promised. And then that sometimes teaches us too. And remember that who the builder is God. Well, remember, we're told that God is the creator of the entire world, but in chapter 3 of Hebrews, we're told that the builder is Christ. So in a way, by having faith in God, He was also having faith in Christ. By faith, verse 11, even though Sarah herself was barren and he was too old, he received the ability to procreate because he regarded the one who had given the promise to be trustworthy. And I love this one. You know how God makes us a promise and we're like, okay, God, it's been a long time. You haven't honored the promises. Three years I worked for construction. For three, I mean, I've been working construction my entire life. But I got out, I did eight, four years of college and four years of seminary. Totally was convinced that God had called me to be a teacher of the Bible. And I went three years after seminary without getting a teaching job. And I was like, God, I gave you eight years to this promise of being a teacher. And all the believers said I was gifted in this area. What the heck? Okay? It was a hard time. Okay, and I, I enjoy construction, but I did not want to do that my entire life. Okay, and, and no offense if you've been gifted in that, but that was just, I mean, I enjoy it a lot, but I had been called to something else. And there's nothing wrong. I still like doing construction. That's what I do in the summer. And that's what I enjoy. But I was wondering, where is it? Okay? This is what he says. For 25 years, God says, I'm going to give you a child, Abraham. 25 years. He's already 75 years old when God first comes to him. And you're already thinking it's too late. For 25 years. And he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits. And it never comes. It's not until he's like 101. Somewhere around 100 and 101 that the kid finally comes. And what's interesting is the whole time Abraham could say, you're not honoring the promises. But what's interesting is it's about around 90-something years old that Sarah, when Abraham's 90-something years old, not Sarah, that Sarah finally becomes barren and is unable to have any kids. Like, it's not that she's not able to have kids because they've been trying, 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 can't. It's that she's gone through menopause, and everybody knows it's impossible for that to happen. And that's when God gives them a child. And you can say that you're not faithful, God, because it's been 25 years, but God's saying, I'm just waiting till it's literally, completely, biologically, physically impossible for her to have a kid so that when she has it, it is so obvious that it was me and not because somebody said, eat this kind of a food or that kind of cheese or be in that kind of position and you'll have a kid. Okay? You know, all those things that they tell you. It's me. And it was so cool, after three years of waiting, a job position finally came up, and I went in, and I, I was doing Bible studies on my own because I just couldn't stop teaching. I wanted to teach. I was doing all these Bible studies and preparing all these things, and God had been pointing my heart and passions towards something. 
And three years, we're in Christian open up, and I asked, what would you want me to teach? And they said, we want you to teach this, this, and this, and this. And that's exactly the curriculum that I've been preparing for the last three years, on my own, through my own passions. And my first year of teaching was way easier than what most people talk about, because I had already spent three years preparing for it. And looking back, it's so God, 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 God. And then I learned a lot of things about Him, too, in those three years. But in the three years, why, 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 why? But I wouldn't give up those three years for anything now. Okay? And I had amazing conversations with people in construction. I can't tell you how many people I witnessed to and how many conversations we had. And people, I mean, once people know you went to seminary, there's no hiding. I'm ashamed to share the gospel. Like, which is the greatest thing for me because I'm an introvert and I'm the last person to walk across the room. But the minute they're like, what do you do? I'm a Bible teacher. Then it's like, I don't have to walk across the room anymore. They're just like, okay? And so I had so many conversations during that time period. And it's great because they can't get away with you either because they're stuck in a room with you as you're building it. So, um, there's no cubicles. So this is what he did. Now, here's what's interesting. Why? Because he believed God to be trustworthy. Why did he believe God to be trustworthy? Because here's what's amazing, and I can unpack this forever. God comes to Abraham, and Abraham is used to a pagan view of God. Like, don't think that God just downloaded Matrix, the whole theology of who God is, into his brain. When he started following God, the only understanding he had of God was the pagans. And the pagan gods believed that gods were limited to one element of power and one location. If you were the god of something, you were the god of the storm only, or the sun only, or children only. And you were only the god of the storm in Mesopotamia, because there was some other god of the storm in Canaan, and some other god of the storm in Egypt. So when he leaves, he's thinking localized, limited god. And God speaks to him in one area and reveals... Why is it that he didn't place his faith in God when he was in Egypt? Because if God speaks in Mesopotamia, he can't take care of you in Egypt because the Egyptian gods are the most powerful. So what does God do? He owns Pharaoh in Egypt. And Abraham learns. And then he goes up into Canaan and all these armies invade and Abraham defeats four military nations with 318 shepherds. And he learns that God can give you a military victory. And so God speaks to fertility, he speaks to protection, he speaks to an army, and military, he starts doing all these things. And at that point, Abraham begins to realize that God has no limits. And he begins to trust, because he learns that God has a track record. Abraham didn't become a spiritual giant overnight. God had to teach him who he was. And he learned it. That's the whole point of all the stories. God is revealing what kind of a God he is to Abraham because everybody reading Genesis has a pagan view of God. And God has to change their view. Verse 12, So in fact, children were fathered by one man. One man produced multiple children. Even though he never saw the land, eventually a great nation did come, and they would not come if he had given up. So other generations were blessed because of his faith. And this one was good as dead. Because when he died, there was only one kid. And as good as dead as he was, the promises of God still kept living. Like the number of the stars of the sky and the innumerable grains of the sand. I think I've mentioned before, the stars refer to the spiritual descendants of Abraham and the grains of the sand refer to the physical descendants of Abraham. So the Jews are the grains of sand and we, as Gentiles, are the stars. 
These all died without receiving the promises. But they saw them in the distance and welcomed them and acknowledged them that they were strangers and foreigners on earth. So he goes on and says, They all died and they never saw it. That's the point I already made. But they believed that they would get it. For those who speak in such a way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. In fact, they have been thinking of the land that they had left. If they had been thinking of the land they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. If they believed that the land that God promised them was the one that they came from, then they w- or the one that they were going to be in now, eventually they would have given up and gone back home. But they didn't. The fact that they never went back home meant that they knew there was something more. Yes? Can you explain a little bit more how, what you mean by the Jews or the grains of sand and the Gentiles? The stars always refer to the spiritual realm. And then when we get to Daniel and other places, it says that we're going to shine like the stars. And not only does it refer to our glory, but it also implies Daniel is a book speaking to the Gentiles, not the Jews. And Daniel is the first prophet that begins to open the promises up to the Gentile nation on a, on a wholesale. Like it was always open to the Gentiles. But in Daniel, the floodgates just open because Israel has screwed up so much. Yes, the grains represent physical material realm, where stars always represent the spiritual realm. All throughout the ancient world, stars are stars were angels. The ancients believed that the angels were stars, so they always referred to spiritual. And then, and that's what he makes here. And then, then Paul makes that connection that the Gentiles and the Jews have come together, and he makes that implication to the promise made to Abraham and that kind of stuff. In fact, they had been thinking of the land. But, as it was, they aspired to a better land that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested... Yeah, so, basically, God is not ashamed. This is the antithesis to the pleased. How do you please God? By faith. How do you keep God from being ashamed of you? By faith. And we've already gone through all the ways that Abraham's failed. He failed, 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 failed. Yet despite his failures, he kept getting back up and he kept having faith. And that's why God said, I'm not ashamed of you. Look, Stephen was not perfect in the book of Acts. Yet when he died, God, Jesus, stood for him. And you've probably already been told this, but the only time a king ever stands for anybody is if they wanted to honor that knight. And that very rarely happened. You had to be an amazing knight for the king to stand for you when you walked in the room. And that's the idea when Stephen says, Behold, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. It's because Jesus was so pleased with Stephen that he stood up to usher him into heaven. And Stephen was not perfect, but he had faith. He had faith. And God was pleased. Now, verse 17, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He had received the promises, yet he was ready to offer up his only son. God had told him, Through Isaac's distance, will carry on your name. And he reasoned that God could even raise him from the dead, and in a sense, he was received back from there. Now, this is the most... This is like faith 401. Remember I told you how Abraham realized that if it's not coming true, his definition is wrong? This is the ultimate example. Because here's the reality. God comes to you, and God for 25 years makes it very clear he abhors child sacrifice. And then now he says sacrifice your child. God a hypocrite? God contradicts himself? That's what most of us in the world would probably immediately go to. But then he also says, I promise you that 
Isaac, not just some other son that you have, but only Isaac is going to fulfill the promises of God of becoming a great nation. Now God says, kill the promises of God. What do you do with that? What do you do with a God that says, I promise you, now kill your promises. Kill your son. I hate child sacrifice. Now go out and sacrifice your child. I mean, Abraham could easily say, there you go. You're just like all the other pagan gods. For 60-something years, I prayed to them, and they punished me, and punished me, and punished me. And you're even sicker, because you finally gave me a son, and now you want me to kill it. That's exactly how the Jews responded. You're a sick, twisted God. You come in and defeat the Egyptian gods and save us through the plagues, and you bring us through the Red Sea, and now you're just going to kill us out here in the wilderness. We know Abraham could have responded that way, because an entire nation did that. And we've seen people in the church do that. But here's what's so cool about Abraham. Abraham reasoned that God could raise him from the dead. He never has seen a resurrection ever in his life. There's no record of a resurrection. And Abraham begins to realize if God is capable of doing anything, because I've seen that. He defeated the army. He defeated Pharaoh. He spoke to me over and over and over and over again. God has shown me that he's capable of doing anything. He provided a child for me when my wife was physically incapable of having children. And God has always honored every promise that he's ever made me. And after over 25 years of learning that God is completely without limits, and God always honors his promise, Abraham put two and two together and said, he's going to raise him from the dead. Because God made him a promise. He always honors it. And God can do anything. So he's going to conquer the death, grave. And he brought the knife up and said, I'm going to stab him. And you know what's really cool? You can see in Genesis. When in Genesis, and I think it's verse 5 of chapter 22, the servants say, hey, where are you going? And Abraham says, we're going to go up the hill, we're going to offer up a burnt offering, and we will come back. And then Isaac says, hey, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide, not a sacrifice, a lamb. And he did. Because he knew that if he sacrificed his son and his son was raised from the dead, he still would have to sacrifice to God. And so God would have to provide a lamb, because there was no lamb. Not only did he believe that God would raise his son from the dead, he believed that God would bring a lamb into his presence. And then he looks over, and there's a a lamb, a ram, which is like a lamb, but caught in a thicket. And a ram is symbolic of a substitutionary sacrifice. It's a substitute for Isaac. That's Abraham's faith. You can see it twice in the passage where Abraham knew his son was going to be raised from the dead. And so the author's not making this up. He just read Genesis 22 really carefully. And in a way, God did figuratively bring him back. Because if the knife is coming down, that's the other thing that's cool. You know how sensitive your ears have to be to God that you can bring a knife down and the God says, stop, and you're like... Now, maybe he was listening for it too, but now here it was really cool. How does a 12-year-old boy get manhandled by a 100-year-old man? He doesn't. Isaac had faith too. Isaac had faith. And they become a typology of the son offering himself up to the father and being raised. Now, here's what's really cool. Uh, I have time for this. When you go up, the Bible never talks about Isaac coming back down the hill. 
And the only other time Isaac ever appears, have you ever wondered why Isaac gets like one little teeny story and Abraham gets a whole bunch and Jacob the scumbag gets a whole bunch and Joseph gets a whole bunch of Isaac gets like this one paragraph to him? Because Isaac gets sacrificed and the Bible never tells you that Isaac came back down the hill. Now we know in real life he did, but the Bible doesn't tell you that. The only other time you see Isaac is when the unnamed servant goes out and finds his bride and bring it back to him. And then the Isaac story is over with. Now, he is mentioned with Jacob and Esau, but that's the Jacob story. Could it be that it's a foreshadow that when Christ gets sacrificed and goes up the hill, he goes up in heaven and he doesn't come back again until he comes back for his bride. And who gets his bride? The unknown servant, the Holy Spirit. It's a giant foreshadowing of Christ. Okay? It's a giant foreshadowing of Christ. This is a reading Genesis carefully. See, we just read and think, oh, he came back. But it doesn't say that. And the only time it mentions, he's, it doesn't mention it. It's the servant that goes out and gets the bride and brings her back. And the bride goes to him and the story is over with. It's all about Christ getting sacrificed, going up to heaven. And we don't see Christ again until the bride is brought to Christ and the Holy Spirit brings the bride to him. The Holy Spirit goes out and finds the bride. It's a foreshadowing of Christ. Faith. 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 Because Isaac goes on and screws up a lot of things after that in the Jacob story. By faith, Jacob also... Or sorry, verse 20. By faith also, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the future. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each one of his sons of Joseph and worshipped as he leaned on his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, mentioned the Exodus as the sons of Israel and gave instructions about his burial. By faith... Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Now, if you really read the story, it's not a lot of faith there. God says the younger will, the, the older will serve the younger, which means God says Jacob's going to get a blessing. And who does Isaac try to give the blessing to? Esau. You ever pay attention to why Isaac decides to disobey God's command to bless Jacob and bless Esau? I love the NIV's translation. Because he liked his tasty meat. Esau was a hunter. And Isaac liked meat. And Esau could bring it. And that's why he was his favorite. Right? Now, why did Esau sell his birthright for food? Because he learned it from dad. Right? You can see generational sins in these stories. It's really cool. In a bad, different kind of a sense. Um, and so here's the reality. He didn't really obey God. He tried to bless Esau. But the author says, by faith he blessed Isaac. Because once Isaac got blessed through deception, which was not God's plan, Isaac says, oh, I was so wrong. And then he brings Isaac back, and he officially blesses Isaac intentionally, knowing that that's who God had picked, and he says God was right. And that's where the faith... He didn't get it right the first time. But the author doesn't focus on how many times he got it wrong. He just focuses on, in the end... By faith, he blessed Isaac. By faith, he blessed Isaac. And he blessed Isaac because he knew he wasn't getting the promises. So he blasts the promises onto the next generation. Why is he mentioning that? Because these guys are blessing their sons because they're passing the promises on because they believe they're that, that God's that trustworthy. Do you, by faith, pass the promises of God onto the next generation? 
There's a lot of people in a lot of churches I know that are not doing that. They're holding on to them so tightly that they will not let the next generation come in and receive. Do you pass it on? And then Joseph. Joseph goes to Egypt. Everything is good for him. It's not until he dies that things get bad. And he's buried in Egypt. And by faith, he says, when God brings you out of this land of Egypt, you dig up my bones and you take them to the promised land because I want to be buried with my fathers. In the ancient world, they believed that being in the land where your burial was how you received the promises. Now, I don't know how superstitious Joseph is. It doesn't matter. The point is that God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 15 that in 400 years you're going to come back to this land. And Joseph says, I believe. So when that happens, you promise me. And one could even say that Israel had amazing faith because they promised, they passed that command from Joseph on for 400 years, generation after generation, to the point that when they left, somebody actually dug the bones up and carried them out because Exodus makes that point in chapter 14. And so by faith, and Joseph said, God, it does not look like we're even further away from the promises than my grandfather Abraham and Isaac were. But he's going to do it because he said it. By faith. They persevered. They never saw the full extent of God's promises. And yet they kept persevering because they knew that something better was in store. If I wasn't getting the physical of what I thought, then I'm going to get the invisible, which will be much greater. Are you willing to forfeit the promises of the material realm, the materialism, the money, the pleasures, for the unseen promises of the spiritual realm? And are you willing to persevere however old that you're going to live before you get that? And they went through a lot of persecution for it, too. By faith. Does it make you want to go back to Genesis? Genesis. 